When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Always a great pleasure to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the life of a man who certainly made his mark in football. He was one of Carlton's greatest and recently was recognised with induction into the Australian Football Hall of Fame. It hasn't all been smooth sailing in his life, but he's here to chat about football and a lot of other things. His name is Wayne Johnston, the Dominator. Dom, good to see you, mate. Hi, Pete. How are you? It's been a long time. Yes, it has been a long time since we've seen each other. Yeah, I've heard, heard the dulcet tones many times over the television and the radio, but uh, haven't seen you for quite a while. Well, I've got to say, I'm very pleased to see you, in, especially in light of what you've been through in the last 12 months or so. Yes. Tell us some of the physical battles, the health battles that you've had. Well, I had health battles um, prior to, obviously, the surgeries that I had. The surgeries, I'm, I'm assuming you want to hear about. Yes. Secondly, yeah. And I'd, I'd had a, I'd had a substance problem, I had a alcohol problem, um, I had a few infections in my body, I had I'd, I'd, I had substance abuse, and that was been that's been well documented. Um, my sons and my family supported me a hundred percent, and uh, as I was supporting me, um, obviously I had a bad turn just prior to uh, uh, running into another phase of my life where I caught a, a golden staff infection. Now you've shown me some photos of yes. some of the surgery that you had to have. Yes. And they could only be described as gruesome. It was pretty ugly. I mean, given given what I'd gone through uh, from uh, in, in what was happening around the family and in life, and then for my kids to come and really help me out, and then obviously they get me into hospital and uh, you know, thank God for Booper and private health care. But um, it was very, very daunting. And I'd had four operations once I tried to analyse what had happened to me. They were, they were draining the ankle, my left ankle, and they drained it four times over a course of, say, a week, something like that. Obviously gave me the appropriate antibiotics at the time. After that week, they sort of came into me with uh, Professor Ian Fraser uh, from the Epworth Hospital, and uh, they decided that I was either going to lose my leg or I would die. I was, I was pretty drained out with uh, the medications I was given from pain relief to antibiotics. I hadn't had anything like that in a long, long time. Hence, they decided that uh, they had to appoint a vascular surgeon, was Dr. Dean Trotter, and then a group of infectious diseases people. So they got straight into it. They tore skin off my uh, right leg from the knee to the hip joint. Uh, that skin was to be taken away and put onto my um, ankle as a, as a flap. Uh, it's not a skin graft, it's a flap. So it's actually, they've made up two or three ankles on top of an ankle that was eaten out by... Um, offshore uh, staff. By doing that, they eliminated uh, the old ankle and just cleaned it out and then tried to grow something new. 
So I've now got what I ended up having seven or eight operations over that period of time. Uh, it was quite daunting because you don't normally have that many unless it's life-threatening. Nothing much prepares you, Dom, for someone coming to you and saying, well, we may have to chop your leg off, and if we don't, you might die. How did you handle that? I went through some phases prior to going in. I was that going to the hospital. I was that toxic that uh, my recollection's not really good. All I can remember is my son, we paid the $300 to go to the emergency ward, and uh, from there on, it was a rough road. It was a rough road for oh, just a zone of just ridiculousness. Um, just the infection had taken over. And then you hit with a lot of painkillers, so it wasn't really me. To be close to death's door or close to it or lose a leg, I don't know which one was worse. When they asked me the question, I said, I don't give a stuff. That was pretty much the mood, I was, the zone I was in. But that you've got to understand that wasn't me. I actually became a decent fellow for the last four or five weeks. Otherwise, I got, would have got killed by the staff. <laughs> but uh, no, it all came good and I got to leave on great terms and they were a great team of people. But do you feel like you've got a second chance at it now? Oh, look, more so than ever, I'm, I've got a, the boys uh, inserted a personal trainer into my life who was a, uh, I think he's in the uh, South African Army for seven years as a medic. He now trains me six days a week out of Glen Huntley, Road Glen Huntley. It's Robbie Gray. Uh, he's a superstar. He actually trained me this morning. I've got, got a few old man injuries at the moment and he, he let me know in uncertain terms I've got to calm down a little bit and start to stretch and uh, get old gracefully, not uh, nastily. And uh, uh, he's been a wonderful uh, asset to me. The six days a week there has just stopped me from getting out of control or getting into a, a space which, as a, my psychologist from uh, the AFLPA said, you know, there are red lights in your life, there are yellow lights and there are green lights. You have to stay away from the red lights. And the red lights are alcohol or going near it or, or going out to places where you know, I can be incumbent upon it. You know, I don't need to be that. You know, I'm disciplined myself fairly well, lost a lot of weight, feel fit. I'd like the leg to be a little bit better, but I've got to get uh, that flap that you've seen. I can get that shaved off. It's called debulking, and I've got one, two, or three phases that's got to go through. But that means another two or three surgeries. Um, I prefer to wait, and I think the, the medicos were in the same opinion that uh, you know, let's give it twelve months, give your head twelve months rest to let the body conform and you know be as one. And uh, I'm getting there now, very slowly, but getting there. When you have something like this, you obviously rely on medical teams and surgeons, yes. but you also rely on family yes. to get you through, and that must have been pretty important to you. Well, it was. Um, Mark, Tommy, and Clay, um, yeah, we had a dark night there where I actually abused my daughter from home. I was just drunk and under the influence of a sleeping tablet and whatever, and I must have let rip and... I, my daughter rang my sons and my sons came home to the lounge room. That was just there on my own. There was nobody else. That was probably the reason. There, there, were, now, there was problems at home. There were, but they weren't. I mean, that was probably a reason, but there was nobody in harm's way other than myself. I wasn't at any stage trying to kill myself or destroy myself in any way, but it, it, I didn't realise it actually got to that stage where I was in a, not a good way. Uh, Mark came over and Clay came over and uh, they were wonderful Tommy came over and unfortunately I didn't recognise him for a couple of hours. Maybe the the uh, substance I took was a sleeping type thing and I'd never had, had one of those before and it knocked me crazy. Not crazy, but really didn't mix with the alcohol, which was a vodka. And uh, yeah, that wasn't good at all. And But they stayed the night and uh, got me through it and then the next morning it was a, a slow rebuild.
obviously they got me to the AFLPA. There was nothing sort of amazing and wonderful. Mm. However, the experience of uh, people, I don't think I'm really uh, fortunate enough to name them really. Just the AFLPA itself has done an amazing job. They've selected the right person uh, to handle me, which wouldn't be any mean feat, even if I was sober and <laughs> yeah, sensible, which I am now. Um, but uh, no, they've been totally wonderful. Brad Fisher and all the boys there. Um, but my sons have stuck by me through thick and thin. Since the um, the incident, I think I've probably had one or two bad days over the course of, no, well, that'd be over, it's well over a year now. Do you have to be careful who you actually socialise with? Yes, because there's no doubt. a lot of the players from days yep. gone by, yep. we know that the Carlton boys loved a good time. So oh, look, do yeah, you need yeah. to be careful of look, that situation? Look, we, we loved a good time. In the end, what I was think I was doing over a lot of years was having a good time. But I think having a good time all the time, then it becomes a repetitive issue and then all of a sudden it can get a great deal more. And then it can immerse you and take over your lifestyle and your love style and, and whatever it is. You're, um, it's not you. And the thing I have really recognised now and really and in the hardest core way, I'm now listening to a couple of drunks every now and then or people who are inebriated, which is nothing wrong with that. But I don't, don't want that to be me in the eyes of the public or anybody else. So I'm sort of asking people to change, to listen to me, and it hasn't been easy. People think, oh, no, it's just crap. But no, I, I have turned it around a fair bit and uh, hope I can keep it that way. I mean, look, put it this way, there's no reason why I can't because I'm quite comfortable. And, um, yeah, I'm very comfortable with life, uh, with family life at the moment, with the kids. Uh, my young boy, Darcy, who's nearly 11, be 11 next month, and... Uh, Yes, I've met a new partner and uh, things are really good. What about the positioning of being inducted into the Hall of Fame in all of this journey? Was that something that almost caused an awakening for you or did it happen before that or after that? How did that fit oh, into where uh, you are now? I think with the Hall of Fame, believe it or not, that was in May of uh, May of 18, I believe. Yep. Um, we had a great night and, and really the, the Hall of Fame itself was, I didn't realise how humbling it was. Uh, really until the next day because I think you might have heard the funny side of it is that I got a phone call about six weeks earlier uh, from the from the commissioner. I just thought it was one of the boys playing a joke on me and I told him to get stuffed <laughs> and uh, ended up being the chairman of uh, West Farmers. And uh, yes, yeah, then I had to apologise on the night. But um, it was a it was really a wonderful experience to have. It was a good, it was a long night, but my whole family was able to turn up uh, Kate and Deb were there, both the wives. Well, one was an ex-wife, but uh, they were both there. And uh, it was a wonderful night. And my bo- the AFL actually allowed my son to come for a short period of time. Darcy is 10 years old. Getting back to the question itself, I think I was in transition mode then. And I actually wanted to get a bit healthier. And there were things in my life that I weren't, I was concerned with and not that happy with. A year and a bit later, you know, it's happened dramatically. And now we're into the, nearly into the two-year mark. Mm. It's good to see you looking so well, and it's good to see you on the road to recovery. We've spoken a lot about post-football. Why don't we take a break, and then we'll come back and talk about that great football journey and that uh, part that you had of one of the great Carlton teams of all time, if not the very greatest. Wayne Johnston is my guest, the dominator. This is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. You can find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. Plenty more still to come with the dominator after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with the dominator Wayne Johnston on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Let's talk footy, Dom. Your great career. Let's go back even before that. As a kid growing up, where was it and when did you fall in love with the game? Pretty hard for me to fall in love with the game because the old man was the uh, vice president of the Anti Football League <laughs> with uh, Keith. I think Keith Dunstan Keith was the original. Dunstan, yep. But see, you can get caught out lying if you lie about these things. Uh, you'll get caught out, and uh, time will find you out. A few people. They said, "Yeah, it's Keith Dunstan." I said, "Yep." Well, Dad was a vice president, so he hated football, Dad. Yeah, you know, I sort of brought up. Dad was a station master up at Yarrigan, and I was adopted at fourteen weeks. My real name was Jonathan Michael Kelly. For some unknown reason, mum, when they adopted me, she, they were going to call me Mark Anthony, but they thought if they had a girl, they'd have to call her Cleopatra, <laughs> which I really couldn't have cared less about Cleopatra because I would rather have been called Mark than Wayne. And I've never forgiven her since. God bless her soul. She passed away last year, mum. We went, to, I went, to, went from Yarrigan to, um, to Coburg, where Nan and Pop lived as well, and I went to St. Mark's Primary School there, and that's where I saw kick to kick from the, you know, one end of the schoolyard to the other. Our, na- our neighbours who came off another street, the Laker brothers, uh, Kenny and Peter Laker and their mother Edith, uh, they were forever kicking the ball in their backyard and having sort of their own matches and I'd be looking over the fence or be sitting in my own backyard, you know, wondering what to do. So I got mum to get me a plastic footy and I used to kick that around and then their ball used to come over into my yard every now and then and I would kick it back. I didn't even know what a left footer or a right footer was, but I could, I could actually kick it. I was actually coordinated. It was something I was actually good at. Um, the Laker boys went on to play some good footy. Kenny went to Carlton for a while in the under-19s, so did Peter. But I was lucky enough to travel from Coburg. Then mum and dad, uh, we ended up at, in the end, we ended up at Wandon, up in the Yarra Valley Mountain District Football League. We went up there to see if I could play football because I'd never played a game. I'd only played those games in the, in the street, but they versed me very well for football. Uh, Wandon had an under-16 team and only had about 14 kids in the town. So they had to go and find another six or seven from the local area or go for younger kids. So uh, they managed to spot me somehow from school. One of the kids, I was at St. Pat's in Lillydale. We were doing the end-to-end there, and I was pretty good at that. I could take screamers all day long and just kick left foot and no handballs, no tackles. And they, Ray Taylor, who worked on the Country Roads board, uh, he just stopped him one day and said, would you like to come and play for our under-16 team? And uh, mum said, oh, that'd be nice, because mum was a Carlton supporter. <laughs> And I uh, ended up playing footy for Wandon and had a great career there. They were responsible for getting me through to the VFA and then, not indirectly, but indirectly getting me to the, the VFL. And we're about to talk about one of the great careers at Carlton, but it could have easily been one of the great careers at Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne or, well, as I said, up at Wandon, depending where you lived, we were, all of our, we were in zones in those days and there was no draft. So you got selected on, on where you were zoned. So one side of Beresford Road, where I lived lived off, but one side was Footscray, and we were the Bulldogs up there, believe it or not, and the other side was Carlton. So I was lucky enough to be in Carlton zone. Yeah, the Melbourne thing came into it when I actually went to the VFA from Wandon. I played the, as a 16-year-old. I was under 17 then, but I went straight into the senior team. I kicked 100 goals in my first year. It was my only year, actually. And uh, Don Kiddo, the coach there, had actually played in the M- M- played at Melbourne during the Halcyon five out of six years. What was that uh, in the fifties? Yeah, and sixty uh, four. He was at the club. He didn't get to play in those games. He was in the reserves. But he went to Oakley and uh, run up. He was run up in a couple of listings. 
So he got me to go to Oakley. I went to Oakley from a practice match at uh, Wandon and kicked seven goals in half a game. I thought that wasn't too bad in uh, under-19s. And Ian Robinson, the Carlton player, was um, coach of the senior team. And I went to see him after my little episode in the in the under-19s. I said, any chance of a game in the, in the seniors or reserves, just a bit of a run. He said, look, we've got, uh, mate, sorry to tell you this, but we've got two Rovers in Charlie Pagnocolo and Lou Tessarero. So we've got our Rover, we're right for Rovers for the year. Literally, that was a pretty slow, podgy half-forward flanker. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, he said, we'll come back and look at you next year. So Donny Kiddo, who played at Oakley, was a bit disappointed, and Big Bob Johnson was a mate of his. And they said, look, we've got a mate of ours over at Pran called Dick Colpin, who's good mates with John Townsend. And John Townsend won the best and fairest at Melbourne in 1964. First boat to have a ACL and have a, have a recovery. He was a great mentor. Got to play at uh, Paran. I was very, very lucky. How did it not be Melbourne and how well, did it become Carlton? Right. Well, the reason why, the only reason why it became Melbourne because Paran was inundated with Townsend, Emsel, Keneally, yeah. Payne. They just kept coming over in leaps and bounds. And that was the Melbourne influence. And anyway, cut a long story short. Uh, they took me over to Carlton to uh, visit Alex and that was really just to make sure that Alex said no and I could go to Melbourne because Melbourne wanted me desperately. And Jezek was a bit strange. He just came out and said, look, we're not letting anybody go until we actually see them play. And Jezek would have taken a lot of advice from everybody else to say, look, we don't need him. He's been here once or twice before. No need. So he didn't say no. So they actually couldn't take me over to Melbourne. So then they, uh, he said, well, just wait for the practice match next week and we'll see how he goes. So they read out the teams for the practice match the following week and uh, I wasn't in the senior team because that was the seniors versus the seniors, whatever was available. The rest was the rest of the senior players and the reserves. And so I got a game in the under-19s. I thought, shit, we're in a bit of trouble here because I'm actually nearly 21 and a half. <laughs> so I didn't think they were really looking at me at a, as a high aspect. All of a sudden, Dennis Collins had these magical form fours back in those days. You could pluck them from anywhere and then they would disappear and wouldn't, you know, if they hadn't been lodged, you, you couldn't play. So Dennis's hadn't been lodged and they, they'd already seen all the other blokes play in other practice matches and they just decided to take me out of the under-19 game and put me into the senior game. So we didn't know this until almost on the day. Mm. And I kicked four or five, but I was actually playing on Jezza. I went to the next practice match over up at Bendigo where they played the, uh, the state of Bendigo players played against the Victorian boys. It was a good match. I played okay up there. Then we went over to uh, South Fremantle. And Mark Jackson put on the Mark Jackson show. He was playing for South Fremantle, believe it or not. And South had blokes like Morris Rioli, Benny Vagona, Basil Campbell. They had some pretty phenomenal players. It was a red-hot game, but I kicked four or five that day. And then Hawthorne the following week, which constituted me obviously going to Carlton, being picked up uh, uh, by Carlton. Played there round one against uh, the Bombers at uh, Waverley. It wasn't a very profitable experience at Carlton for me. What was your biggest contract, if you don't mind me asking? Mate, probably, it's a good question. I mean, I, look, I'd played in three premierships in four years. Mm. And then, you know, um, Collingwood came hard at me. Carlton took my income from 15000 to 30 something thousand, which wasn't bad. Yeah, I'd, I'd seen, I'd, I knew there were bigger contracts around, but I was not remotely interested in money. Well, so we, I battled on through 84, I was captain, 85, I was captain, 86, won another best and fairest, 87, just missed out in the best and fairest, but I missed five games, 88, I was probably in the best form of my career, and that was when I earned the most money, because mm. um, what it was with Carlton, you had to play a certain amount of games, 
uh, to vindicate your contract. So just say your, your contract was 100000 which it wasn't. <laughs> but if it was 100000 you had to play 14 games. Played finals, they were bonus games. And also if you finished up high in the best and fairest, they were bonus. And if you won the best and fairest, it would be a bonus. So mm. it was always a bit of a – it's not a bad idea. Back in, the, back in the days where you're non-professional and you're working during the day, it's not a bad way to have little steps up the ladder to increment a bit more money. And so, yeah, that was my most profitable year, 1988. Unfortunately, with about nine weeks to go, I ran into a pole on Doncaster Road. Didn't help me. And uh, I was injured. Hurt. I got blown out of my Ivan Lendl runners out of the car. And I was all right. Got out all right. But I, it did cost me about nine games. But I still, I was, that was my highest pay year. You walked into a pretty handy dressing room. Yes. 1979. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I walked into the rooms pre-season and Trevor Keogh and Barry Armstrong, like, they were in they were in number eight locker and uh, number 12 locker, and I've got into number seven, so I'm sort of in between there. And there weren't other, many other senior players around, so they sort of adopted me in a certain way. Who did you inherit seven from, Dom? Actually, it was quite unique. I was wearing 29, which is Ray Burns' number. Yeah. And I thought, well, 29 will do. And, um, and you know, I, was, I was, didn't bother me. I was just happy to get a jumper. Because Ray Byrne, I think, had gone over to Collingwood. You're going to win the flag in 79. Famous grand final. Yeah. Did footy seem a pretty easy game for oh, you at that well, stage? A bit what I said to you earlier was that when I ran to Keogh first time, he said to me, good to see you, John, because I watched you play at Paran. He said, I think we've got a real chance to win a premiership. He said, all we're worried about is a pumped up hot Richmond team. And he didn't really mention Collingwood or Essendon. Mm. He's just more worried about the Tigers. And to me, I said to him, Trev, I don't really care who we play as long as we can play in a flag. I said, I just played one against Preston. And played a preliminary against Port Melbourne. Everyone said we couldn't win those, but we won a flag. So let's just let it ride and let's get the game won and see how we go. I think we ended up nineteen and three that year, and they actually threw the last game. They they rested about seven or eight players, lost by fourteen points, lost the other two games by two points and one point. Lowest losing aggregate I think in history. And we kicked twenty hundred points twenty games in a row in bog. You know, in those days they were bogs. They had blokes that had played 250-plus, had a few of those, with Jezelenko, Southby, Duell, Keogh, Armstrong. Then you had the McClures, McConville's, Johnston's, Buckley's, Harms, Sheldon, Marcou, Francis, Young. That's not a bad middle infrastructure. And you've got to remember, I was the rawest player there, Kenny Sheldon. I mean, it just it was quite uh, clinical. David Mackay. Did old and young get on well? Because they Because sometimes did. there can yeah. be yeah. divisions between the older yeah. brigade and the younger brigade. I think brigade. it was the perfect storm in a manner which the older blokes were old enough to realise that these younger blokes were actually very, very good. Mm. And they were. I mean, Jim Buckley and Ken Sheldon, they were 16 when they got there. And, mate, they were, I think they'd played for nearly 50 games before I'd got there. And they were just a freak show. They could run. Their, their level of skill was it's always been beyond mine. Uh, then, you know, people like Francis and Marku. Marku was one of the quickest blokes in Australia, over 100 metres. Um, he, he ended up being a great player in three premierships. Younger blokes actually really epitomised, like Bruce Doyle. <laughs> like you don't get every chance to rub shoulders with Bruce. Jeff Southby, you know, but David Mackay. You know, David Mackay should be a Hall of Famer. No doubt he'd be the next nomination from Carlton. But uh, yeah, they were absolutely brilliant blokes. And it was very family-orientated. Day, that famous day, 1979. You talked about playing in the slop. You played in the slop yeah, that day. it's tough. Um, how far out was Wayne Harms? Tap, please, well, as a well, Collingwood supporter. It's interesting. Well, me. I really think if you have a good look, he was in by fair way. I was running up the middle of the ground with Ken Sheldon. I was just sort of sprinting up, not really thinking anything would happen. So then Harms, he whacks the thing. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how far it went. It's gone over thirty or forty meters, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it was in a it was a bog. It was only the water that kept it alive going across. And by the time I'd got to the square, Kenshaw had already kicked the goal and was back to the middle. He'd run straight past me. It was a freakish thing to do. I mean, if he doesn't do that, do we win? I don't know. It was the shortest last quarter in AFL grand final history. I think it was twenty eight minutes. Yeah. Two years later, same opponent. Yeah. Same feeling, probably. Yeah. Collingwood dominated the match for a fair part. Oh, isn't mate? I think they probably they, they dominated the the play early because once again I was on the half forward line. I'd missed half a season, so I wasn't. I was quite happy for a slower impact game. I don't think my body was ready for a you know, full impact and you know, the whole thing of like eighty two. But uh, Collingwood played a good game style, and they they just kept the ball out of our forward line. We couldn't get it there. We were, what were we, 20-something points down just before three-quarter time. Mm. Ashman kicks a goal from the boundary line. Buckley gets a free kick and kicks it from the boundary line or half forward. And all of a sudden, we're in with a chance. Parkin came out at three-quarter time and his speech was, he said, I think they're gone. He said, I'm telling you, I think they're all gone. Now, we couldn't bloody work that out because we were getting we were getting flogged. But he wasn't too far wrong because I think there was 10 blokes had three or less touches. Uh, five or six had none. Only a few others had you know, multiple figures. So they'd, they just ran out of gas. Mm. They'd played their hearts out. Yeah. But, you know, we went 20-something points down, say 27 points down in the third quarter, winning by 21, 22. It's a big turnaround. It's a big belting in the end. Why don't we take a break and we'll come sure, back mate. and talk sure. about a couple more premierships because yeah. we've already got two under the belt, 79, 81. Yeah. And we've got to find out about that name too, the Dominator. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people might be surprised how it all came about. We'll find that out when we come back on the other side of the break with Wayne Johnston on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives, a family-owned business since 1934. You can find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Wayne Johnston, the Dominator, is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Before we talk about those other two flags, Dom, and I don't think, I don't think I've ever called you Wayne. No, not many people would want to, really. No, although I think one of the blokes who actually coined your name... Doesn't call you Dominator, is that right? Is it Sellers had Sell, a bit to uh, do with it. Sellers, Mark McClure. Yeah, sometimes he, yeah, actually, probably doesn't. Mainly Jono. Yeah. 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 Now it's the question of the Dominator. Well, yeah. what happened was we. Um, well, you got to remember, we had to get the first year out of the way before you could call yourself anything, because the worst thing you do at Carlton was be a big note up, and quite often you people would try to make out they were pretty good, and I've never seen a group of blokes cave somebody's head in so quickly with you know, their oratory skills. In 1980, we had the round one game against uh, Collingwood. Jesuit had left the club. George Harris had left the club. Purse was coaching. And he you know, he was thrown to the dogs, you know, really. And it wasn't easy, but uh, we got belted in, I think, all, all five practice matches. Got beaten by about 18 goals by South Fremantle. Uh, it didn't look that good, but, um, yeah, Malcolm Fraser uh, came down to Melbourne and said, look, um, you know, I believe in Carlton and all this crap, you know, more political stuff. And... Uh, so it'll give $1,500 to the player who most epitomises the Carlton Football Club. So he didn't say the best player. So he really got everybody's everybody up and going. And, of course, we turn up at the Victoria Park, mind you. We actually belted the living salt case out of them. Well, we're about 14 goals up at one stage. Won the game, and uh, at the end of that game, I actually won the 1500 
and I was starting to feel pretty good about myself. And um, we, we we would always go to Chase's nightclub. And you got to remember, we we finished at five o'clock. Time we're out of there. There's no aftermatch at Collingwood because they wanted to spit on you, kick you, and do whatever. <laughs> and not to say they weren't a great club, but they, you just couldn't go nowhere. And we were the same there. And when you beat them, Max, you leave you alone. They don't kick your car in or scratch you on the way out. They just run away. I might just whip home because I've got a lot of money in my pocket. Whip home, get changed, and because uh, I was didn't live that far from from Chasers, I was just up the road in Glen Iris, and uh, went into Chasers. It was all new. They had the mezzanine floor upstairs. Mm-hmm. I got there probably two hours too early, and I just had nothing else to do. Had this money in my pocket, and I didn't have to pay. It was even better. And the security guards go, Jono, would you uh, you want to be the first one up to the mezzanine floor? Because they had all the the uh, waitresses there, all the girls up there, and other girls there, for, you know, just to mingle around, you know, having cocktails and whatever. So I had a few drinks and uh, I'd been up there a couple of hours and I'm not, I was never a great drinker. And when sellers and that had, uh, time they got in there, they, they, no one could find me. And they thought, well, it's not like John had to kick seven and not be out, you know, carrying on about himself. Anyway, cut a long story short, I went down and got him. And I said, you, you, you're welcome up here. The security will let you in. And they, they said, oh, how, how the hell did you get in here? I said, I'm dominating. I'm the dominator. Don't worry about it. It's all good. And I did this in front of the girls. I did this in front of the other players. And um, I got home and woke up at 7.30 the next morning. I had to get to training by 8. So I got in the car and uh, got to training. And um, when you think about it, when you call yourself the dominator, people like McClure pick things up very quick. And Youngy and um, Perovic and Buckley, they pick it up quick. And because I was being an ass of myself, uh, I was, we're just doing a, we're doing a warm-up lap. And most of the blokes would have been hung over. It was a big win. And uh, Trevor Keon Armstrong walked past. I said, G'day, Dom. And I had no idea what they were talking about. Then a couple of others did it. Oh, there's a dominator. How, how are you, mate? And I can honestly tell you, I could not remember calling myself that. And McClure goes, you dickhead. He said, you know what you, how you carried on all night? I said, what time did I leave? He said, about 1 o'clock. I said, I thought it would closed at 12. He said, no, no, they'd increase the, uh, the closing hours till 3. So we had to get you out of there. You're an absolute pest. I said, what's his name? He said, you gave it to yourself. Hence, it sort of stuck ever since. And uh, But it stuck because um, Lou Richards and Tom Pryor wrote a story about me. And it was uh, must have been during the 81 season. And I'd had an injury. And I, well, I wasn't, it took me a while to come back. And they said, well, this young bloke that calls himself the Dominator, better have a good look at himself because right now he's looking like the lowest common denominator. <laughs> and coming from Lou Richards and Tom Pryor, and it was on the front page. It wasn't nice, and uh, then I affectionately became known as the Dominator because Lou, I think Louis, once Louis announces you or denounces oh, yeah. you, it stuck fat, and then thank God I started to get a kick, mm. and um, you know, four premierships later and all that, they, well, it was, it was a fun nickname, and to be called, well, as I said to mum, being called Dom or Jono really kills Wayne. I'm not a big one on Wayne. And then one of your staff that today came in and said, is that Dwayne Johnson? I said, no, you idiot. It's Wayne Johnson. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll sack that person. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Thank you. We talked about beating Collingwood in grand finals. If that's sweet, beating mm. Richmond in a grand final would be all right, wouldn't it? It's easy in hindsight to look back. I thought 79 was, Jesus, just about as good as you get. I think 82 was better than we could have got. Uh, we, they were threes on, Richmond. I think they made one critical mistake and – I spoke to uh, Brian Taylor about this just the other, uh, a couple of weeks ago at a function, and he said, you're the first bloke that's ever brought it up, Jono. It was that Francis Burke, uh, Taylor was out injured in the semis, but he was available for the grand final. We'd lost Southby and Austin. Now, you would think that Taylor coming back into the side as a tall forward and a full forward, 100 goal-kicking full forward, would be an ideal substitute. 
he wouldn't pigtail it, Francis Burke. We think he might. There might have been a bit of disharmony between the two. I've no doubt. And he picked Ian Satori to play on David Glascott on a wing, which seemed pretty dumb. We 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 were short of tall, and they had an extra tall to come in. They could have made a mess of us, and they just they lacked goals in the first half. And with the tall forward, you're half a chance. Bit of complacency there with maybe the selectors and what's going on. Uh, Malthouse had done his shoulder, and they worked him over during the week. He didn't play. I thought it's starting to fall apart a bit. And we were used to having Southby and Austin out because we'd, we'd known about it for a while. We just thought we had to get off to – I remember Sellers, actually. I'll give him up on this one. We were sitting in the dry sauna in, in the in the Richmond rooms – sorry, in the uh, Melbourne rooms for the grand final. And I sit there on my own just sort of working out what I'm going to do. And Sellers comes in and sits next to me. He said, what do you think? I said, uh, we get a good start. I think we can get them. I said, but we have to get a good start. And he says, oh, I don't think we can beat them. So he did have a defeatist attitude, McClure. I was happy to kick the first goal. Should have kicked the second, but made sure the second got kicked with Harmsy taking it, involved in the third. So we're 18 points in front with about five minutes into the first quarter, and we won the game by 18 points. Mm. As David Parkins said, uh, great starts in footy usually indicate the scoreboard at the end of the day. Such is your great career that we're only going to talk about grand finals and premierships. Mm-hmm. 86 um, Hawthorne gave you a bit of a yes. touch-up. There was yeah. one thing I remember about 86. I was doing the boundary line that mm. day, and you were sitting on the bench probably 15 feet away from yep. me, and I was avoiding eye contact yep. because of the result. And I remember you coming up to me after the game saying, you're a rude prick. <laughs> I said, what's the matter? Aren't you going to say hello to me? <laughs> In the middle of a grand final, you wanted me to come over and say hello. Well, the thing was, I, I, I'd done my knee. I'd got a knee across my knee. and Unfortunately, I had a tagger. I had Swabby, Peter Swab. I'm glad you brought it up, actually, because I was getting bored sh- you know, shitless on, on the bench. I, <laughs> it was a foreign place. And unfortunately for Swabby, he had to go wherever I went. So because I was on the bench for pretty much the rest of the game. Yeah. And in the end, Swabby and I swapped jumpers. Last time a Carlton player swapped a jumper mm. in the grand final. Uh, Wolsey had a go at me for doing it. I don't know why. I said, mate, now I've got, f- I've got five winning ones. <laughs> I've got five pretty ones. So, um, but uh, uh, yeah, it was interesting. I, I was like that. But um, the, look, make no mistake, that Hawthorne team, we played our grand final in the second semi mm. and we played all our cards. We needed to change it up a little bit. But uh, to their defence, you know, Abbott ran through Blackwell in the first quarter and he had a, some sort of a concussion. Bradley broke his thumb in the first quarter and I'd done my knee. And I hadn't done it, but it was, I was immobilised. We were first, second and third in the best and fairest. But uh, it was disappointing, but they, in the end, they were way too good. And what disheartened me the most was Jason kicked six or seven on Bruce, and Bruce retired, which I was, yeah, well, I wasn't happy with because we'd let him down. We had let him down. And the supply to Jason was impeccable. And then we go to 87, we play in the Premiership in 87. Revenge is sweet. Yeah. And Bruce would have been ideal because we had a lot of younger blokes running around that year. He would have been ideal for it, but he just, he had enough. And uh, yeah, it was interesting because now I'm the only one that's played in those four, 79, 81, 82, 87. And I didn't realise this until only about a year ago. So some track worker at work said to me, John, do you realise you're the only, only bloke that played in those four? And I said, McCombo, Buckley, Sheldon, Ashman didn't play 87. So it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's unique the way the cards have fallen. Four flags in eight years. Yeah, it wasn't Not bad. Not a bad return. Yeah. I was lucky enough to play in 10 final series in my first 10 years. Mm. So, but then again, it's funny, it, uh, it takes its toll in the body. As I said, I had a lot of needles and I went in hard for a smaller guy. I beg no pardons. And 
Also, once the AFL became the AFL, I think a lot of the, some of the clubs got a good jump. They became very professional, especially Collingwood. And the Bombers, they, they hired the right people to get, get their clubs fit, psychologists and that to get me, people mentally right. The game had, had evolved and changed very quickly, dramatically. And I thought the 90s was a, a great decade of footy. Were you cooked at the end of Carlton? Because you yeah. went on to play SANFL, I think, didn't oh, you? Oh, no, not really, mate. What, what happened was... I. I'd, I'd actually retired and Jeff Motley rang me because Jeff Motley's son, Peter Motley, a yeah. good, dear friend of mine, and you know, God bless Motley, he's still around and he's, he's good actually. But um, yeah, Jeff said, I got offered a job over there. Uh, I was a futures broker with McIntosh Securities. Which John Mack was the chairman of finance of the club. And uh, I was working there and I had a chance to go over there and take on the job. And I did that. And then I was offered you know, to go over there and play, actually the Adelaide Crows. And I just said, look, I'm not, I'm not up. To, I'm not up to it. I can't. I was shot, so I, I can't do all the running. I, I've just had enough. And then um, I went over there, and Jeff tried to get me to play for Sturt. They, yeah, I signed up and played three games. Mm. Uh, I was actually severed the uh, lateral cutaneous nerve in my groin, which is actually connected to the top of the right shoulder and goes down to your ankle, which means you once it's ruptured, it was torn. So they had to actually connect it together. It was like two live lightning bolts running around in your leg going and stabbing you oh, yeah. and you just get a shock. So that was, that was the end of my career. And I'm, yeah, I wish I hadn't played in a sense. Yeah, sure, you got good money to play and they had to pay it out. But it wasn't the right thing to do by the club or by me, really. Well, that's just the full stop on what was a great career on the field. We've got one break left. Yep. And there's one particular thing I want to ask you about. And that is whether you have a fear of snakes. <laughs> For one reason that we'll find out from Wayne Johnston when we come back on the other side of the break on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934, and they bring you a chat every week with one of the greats of Australian sport. We'll be back to finish it up with Dom on the other side of the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Our final segment in uh, I Wish It Was a Longer Chat with Wayne Johnston, the dominator, the great Carlton legend on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives, tobinbrothers.com.au if you want to find out some more. Now, Dom, I mentioned snakes. <laughs> Jimmy Buckley did something to you at one stage, did he not? Can you enlighten us? Well, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I try to forget a lot of things that Jimmy does. I think he, most people try to. He, he had this fixation with snakes, so he, he could handle them being a kitten boy. I was predominantly a Coburg boy, and we didn't know anything about snakes. And uh, little did he, Jim know that when I was a kid up at Wandon, they'd ripped up the, the railway line from Lillardale to Warburton. And um, I encountered a snake while walking along the uh, rail tra- or the vacant rail track one day, and I slid down the embankment and landed on a nest with a big black, black female snake. Uh, well, Oof. not that I knew it was a female at the time, but there was about eight other snakes underneath it, Oof. little babies. And uh, I think Ralph Dubella just won the 800 in the, in the 1968 Olympics. Yes. Would that be right? Yep. So 880 metres would have been, eight yards, sorry. Yes. 800 metres, yeah. yeah. I, I sprinted home and I reckon I broke the record, <laughs> sat on them. And I'm, I've actually been so scared of them ever since. And a lot of people knew that. It was a phobia of mine. But I also studied them. Did you? Yeah, I did. And I remember years ago we went over to Thailand and it, actually Buckley started over there too. We, we got on our little scooters on the ocean and went over to Snake Island. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a, that's 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 way out of our league. But uh, getting back to Bucks, yeah, the, I think he snuck a, I don't know what kind of snake, but it was a rubber snake in the bed, and there's not much worse than, 
Well, there's a couple of things worse I've had done in the bed, but uh, but the snake was bad, and uh, I didn't know whether it was real or rubber. It doesn't matter. It's uh, I just can't handle slimy things, and Jimmy's one, and so is the snake. And it, it actually gives me a heart rush. Like, is Jimmy Buckley the biggest pest in your time, or was Jimmy Buckley the biggest pest in well, your time? Well, he's up there. He's, he's the postman that doesn't come twice, but. Uh, he doesn't normally turn up, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to get him now, Buck, so if you don't mind giving me a call, it'd be great. <laughs> but, oh, well, this is probably the best way to do it, just over the road. Yeah, radio. we're supposed to be doing a night somewhere, but uh, I can't get hold of him, mate. But uh, No, nah, he, he was, but he's a – tell you what people don't understand. Jim Buckley in 982, before he got a bit crook, but uh, he, he won the best and fairest that year in 982 by a record amount in a, you know, in a premiership year, and he missed a lot of games towards the end. And the, his finals, he wasn't anywhere near ready. He, he was an outstanding footballer. And you and he had something in common. You, I mentioned you were a good big game player. So yeah. was he. Oh, well, actually, Jimmy, you look at Jimmy's form in big games was good. Kenny Sheldon's form in big games yeah. was good. Marcou's form in big games was good. Probably why you won four fleets. Well, that's the Mosquito years. Fleet. Yeah. Ashman's form in two of the grand finals was good. He didn't get to play the, the first one. That was a real anomaly. We can't work out why Ashman wasn't picked in 1979. Last question, Dom. Uh, it's been a wide-ranging chat that we've mm-hmm. had over the last hour, and we've touched on many of the wonderful things that you were able to do in footy, but we've also touched on some of the things that you've been able to do in life and conquer. What gives you greatest satisfaction? Uh, I think it's a combination of both. I think football has been a big part of my life, um, but I think there's no doubt, no doubt now that my family's also been a, uh, a bigger part of my life. And I've, look, I've had six kids. I've lost one, lost one in 1999. It was his 20-year anniversary last year. And that saddens me greatly. But I also respect that uh, these things happen. And uh, I've mo- not moved on, but uh, we've learned how to handle those things better. Um, I've now become a better person. And I've worked bloody hard to get to it. It hasn't been easy over the last couple of years. And I'm sure there's people I've heard along the way. But um, fortunately, I, I'm now getting myself right. And still, still in the throes of uh, not working things out, but... You still live day to day, I suppose. Everyone lives day to day. But I'm living a good life day to day. And I'm very lucky I've got good people around me. And that's what I've been designed how to do it is to be with the people you want to be with and the people that can guide you to the right places and the people that you want to stay and live with. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. When you think about it, it's been a remarkable journey. And you should be very proud of what you were able to do, not only on the football field, but what you've been able to do in recent years too. It's been just a delight to catch up with you. Thanks, Pete. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Wayne Johnston, the Dominator, joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll have another great of Australian sport same time next week. Hope you can join us then. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.